This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to day three of the Zero Project Conference here in Vienna, Austria. And we are going to be talking today to Google and Microsoft and finding out how technology can enable people in the workplace. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, from the Zero Project Conference held at the United Nations in Vienna, Austria, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Yes, it's me again, and Sean Priest still in his bed in a dining room in Manchester. I'm going to keep saying that. So. I know, you stop saying that. It makes it sound so bad. Hello, how are you, Stephen? You know, I, I think we might get Rob. Or voiceover guy. No, no. That's going to be the intro from Monday. I'm going to get him <laughs> no, no, to do please. that. From a bed in Manchester, England. Oh, that sounds so weird. <laughs> How are you today? Are you all right in there? I'm beautiful. I'm very buoyant today. Cheerful, happy. Oh. I'm feeling good. How about you? I feel good too. I've, you know, I've had a lovely time. I, honestly, Vienna is a beautiful country. Well, it's mm. actually a city. Um, Austria is a country. Just get my oh, geography no. right there. Um, but yes, it is a beautiful place. Um, you know, I didn't get to do many skiing trips, which is good because, uh, you know, I didn't book the travel insurance. So that would no, probably be the end. And uh, yeah, that wouldn't have worked out so well. But no, do you know what? It is a beautiful place. And I, I have to say, it's such a clean place. Really? Yeah. Don't go back. You got to Britain, everything stinks. But here, lovely. Wow. Slightly harsh. <laughs> Hello, Britain people. I British see British people. Tourist Board uh, speaking here. Um, but yeah, honestly, it's, it's a wonderful place. And, uh, it, you know, I will say, um, uh, Mr. F and I did sample the delights of the finest, I believe, of Austrian culture yes. and food. I know where this is going. Yes. Uh, because what we did was, you see, what we did was we, um, we went to a place uh, that served the finest fried chicken from Kentucky, Austria. That's right, isn't it? Kentucky, Austria. It's it's, it's like, I I think there's two Kentuckys, right? There's one in America, and they have their KFC, and clearly Austria has its own Kentucky uh, that produces fried chicken, and that's what we had last night. Vienna fried chicken. I mean, what could be better? VFC, yes. Travel broadens the mind. It's all about sampling different cultures and different experiences, and where do you head? KFC, I need a bucket. I, I mean, did it in Dubai on. as well. I remember going to Dubai and getting all excited by a McDonald's box because it was all written in Arabic. And I was just amazed how that worked. Our first night in Regina in Canada. Where yeah. did we end up? We ended up McDonald's, McDonald's and then the KFC at the end of the road. We're a disgrace. We are. I mean, honestly, yeah, you, you couldn't take us anywhere. Um, <laughs> but no, it's been a great time. Really enjoyed it. And today on the show, we have some great guests coming up. Uh, we're going to be talking later with Darren Rowan. He is from a company called Eli Lilly & Co. And they uh, have been working hard to make their company more accessible by hiring him as the head of accessibility. So we're going to talk about what that means and get into a really interesting discussion around you know the right move forward with employment and how you can get more disabled people through the door not just as customers, but as employees as well. So that's really interesting. But of course, it's a tech show, Honest. And today we're going to be joined by not one, but two of the big tech companies. I will say there's another big company here with a, uh, let's just say, um, fruit in its title. Um, oh. You know, I have had a wonderful conversation with the person who's here, but they won't come on the show. So, so you know, 
Oh, right. <laughs> okay. They've heard the show before. Okay. They've heard yes, it. They're exactly. not coming on. Well, as you know, Google and Microsoft, they don't care. So uh, they are coming yeah. on. We're going to be joined today by uh, Hector Minto from Microsoft. He's coming on later. Actually, we're going to learn not just about what he's doing here, but also what's coming up. The Ability Summit comes up on March 8th. So uh, big Microsoft's big Why? yearly event. So we've got that to cover. We'll be talking a little bit about that, although I don't know if we'll get much out of Hector on that because, you know, they like to hold everything back until the day itself. So we'll see. We'll see what I can glean yeah. from him. But first up, he is the uh, big man at uh, Google when it comes to accessibility. Uh, he's Christopher Patno. He is a darling around here. People love Christopher. And you know what? When you speak to him, you understand why. He does great work. <laughs> and uh, I got the chance to speak to him earlier. Hi, my name is Christopher. Hi, my name is Christopher, Elite Accessibility and Disability Inclusion for EMEA for Google. Wilson Christopher, thank you so much for coming back on to Double Tap. It is great to have you back with us. Anytime, man. Um, what's going on at Google these days? There's just so much to talk about. Honestly, I don't even know where to start. Uh, but in terms of accessibility, I mean, again, just an area that is continually developing. We're seeing endless improvements all over the place. What's, what's been the highlight for you this year already? Because I only imagine there's, there's 20 or 30. There's two things in particular I'm, I'm proud of. We, we talked a little bit about the Accessibility Discovery Center last time, and the, if you don't mind my bringing that up, um, it is getting bigger and better than I ever expected. We had a, a, a mobile version of the ADC, we're calling it ADC in a box, that we brought to our, our um, hotel in Davos. So in, in the place where Google was at Davos, we had a set dedicated to accessibility and disability inclusion. We had three of our demos and, and even one of the video games. And it gave people an opportunity to, to recognize the value of assistive technology and, and, and um, artificial intelligence, AI for good. Having, having someone to take a selfie of themselves without being able to see the camera, having someone be able to communicate without, being able to, without speaking, just using their eyes. It really brings it home in a way that you, you don't see otherwise. And because of the work we've done at the ADC, we have these demos that we've tried literally hundreds of times, and we know that people respond to them really well. So that's really neat, watching this ADC become something bigger than we, frankly, I really expected. We've had dozens and dozens of companies come through because they want to understand why does Google do accessibility? How do you do accessibility? How can we do accessibility better for our, our products and our, our, our employees? So the ADC has turned into this, this source of information that is really resonating much better than I frankly expected. It's what I hoped, but I didn't expect it. Um, the, this, the second thing I'm, I'm really excited about is the, the new release of TalkBack. We added more languages, we added more tables, so it becomes a, a much richer release, so people could do a lot more with it, no matter where you are in the world. And you know, you mentioned TalkBack, of course, BrailleBack as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it is continually developing. And where are we on the roadmap with that? Because that's still fairly new, isn't it? That integration between TalkBack and BrailleBack. How's that going? Funny, I, I, I've stopped thinking of them as separate products. I talked about TalkBack, but I was actually talking about BrailleBack. Um, they're, they're the same thing now. Yeah, exactly. There's no friction. You, you download the, the accessibility suite and you have it. You have access to, to the, USB hit device, the, the USB devices. So there's more, there are more Braille displays that are, that are supported by it. So this is something the team recognizes is valuable. It's interesting. And when it's interesting and valuable, the, the investment comes in, the, the, the partnership with the community comes in. So we'll continue to work on this over time. I think that the one thing that stands out for me is, and it must be the most challenging part of your job, 
is trying to keep up with the endless developments on your side from the, the, the software developments, <laughs> the accessibility improvements, oh my all gosh, that, yes. but across so many disabilities as well. That's the genius about what you do, isn't it? That you're able to bring so much and give so much capability to so many people. I think it's one of the, the benefits of working at a place like Google. Um, it is such a distributed environment. There is no one central organization saying you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to do that. We have experts in accessibility and experts in the technology in each of the different areas and they have the relationship with the community. We don't control that relationship. We may facilitate, but the, the, the braille back team, the, the talk back team, they recognize because of the people that work on the product who, who are of the community and the, and the relationships we have with, with say, RNIB and RNID and, and, and NFB and, 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 and the rest. We know it's not working. And it's a matter of making sure we identify the most important things, get them prioritized, release them. And sometimes it doesn't work as well as you want, so you fix it. But that's the nature of developing for accessibility. You're never going to get it right the first time. The, the goal is always to make it better and better and better. Let's talk about the Zero Project Conference. Why are you here? This is my second year coming to Zero Project. And what I really love is, is the power of network, how the, 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 the network brings to light new opportunities, brings to light new technologies, brings to light new challenges. For example, yesterday I was chairing a panel, sort of a shark tank kind of panel, and they had this, this really cool technology. I was just talking about it in line for coffee. Um, it was called Hello Movie. And what it is, they use an audio fingerprinting technology, and they use it to understand where you are in the context of, of, of a movie. So you can download, either on your phone, on, on say, some kind of AR glasses, you can download the, the, the captions or download an AD track and be always kept in sync because it's measuring where you are based off the acoustic fingerprint of the film. So there's no investment in, in theaters, there's no investment um, in, in, in the studio, they just need to be provided access and then they can create this sidecar data that you can consume however you want. I've never heard of that before. No, that's I incredible. totally get it, and I think it's really cool. Yeah, and like you say, I mean, it takes the onus off the theatres, which is good, because it gives more access. And look, let's be honest about it. I've been to the theatre. I've experienced audio description. Mm. I have to wear a pair of headphones that no doubt 100 people before me have worn. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. in an age post-COVID, I don't know if I'm too keen on that. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to die with that, if I'm honest. So... You know, I, I kind of like the idea of just taking in my own headphones. I want to enjoy the experience as well, so I can enjoy it with people, yeah. as opposed to being isolated from it. So yeah, that's a great example of it. And this is something which, again, all of that goes through your devices. The, the, the interesting thing for me is we're all working to the same goal. Yeah. Apple, Microsoft, Google, Meta, you, you name it. We all recognize the value and the importance of, of, of supporting the community. We recognize the interesting challenge. I, I need to reinforce this. It is really fun to work on this stuff. It's hard, but that's, that's where the fun comes from. And we're all doing this, and we're all egging each other on. Here, Hector and I spend time together teasing each other. I had dinner with Sarah. We're, we're all friends, and we're all doing the same work, and we all support each other because it's not about us. It's about the community, and we'll compete tooth and nail when it comes to the tech, but we support each other, making sure that we're all in the same space. You take a look at the Accessible Speech Project, which was released last year. It's a prime example of... of the, the technology companies coming together to support the community, to allow people with, with differing speech patterns, with challenging speech patterns, to be able to use technology that will meet them where they are. And we're doing this together, and by doing it together, we're doing it better. Of all the different 
essentially disabilities that you cover through the accessible suite and the, the, mm-hmm. the technology you create. Is there any? Is there one particular area you think that technology itself, not not Google or Apple or Microsoft, but actually technology itself, just hasn't quite gotten right yet for this particular group of people? That there's something that's in the back of your mind that's you just wish you could just get that right. I've spent a lot of time in the past few months, and, and, and not just me, just I'm hearing more and more people talking about supporting people with intellectual disabilities. There's some really interesting challenges there. For example, when you want to work with the community, as we do, we need to make sure that we have consent. And this has to be thoughtful, understandable, legally valid. Um, so, so, working, so that is a logistical hurdle. And then the, the breadth of disabilities that you, we, 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 you, you have to deal with, you get to deal with, makes the space really challenging. But that's, that's where the, the fun is. Yeah. So working in this space is, is, is where I'm spending a lot of time. I had a, 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 a idea a couple weeks ago when, when ChatGPT and Bard started coming out. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could have a magic translator that goes from, take this legal document and make it simpler, and make yeah. it simpler again. Um, Funka out in Sweden is doing some research on this right now. So it's not a, not a brainchild of mine. A lot of people smarter than I am who are already thinking about it and, and doing research. But this is the community that needs assistance. And I think this is where these kind of generative AI technologies can be profoundly helpful. Well, that's interesting you brought that up because that's where I want to go next is AI. Because, of course, the rise in AI, it seems anyway, it just feels like, and I'm sure to you it's not, but to me and to a lot of consumers out there, this feels like it's very sudden. That in the last four months, it feels like we've suddenly gone from hearing about this project called OpenAI to suddenly, boom, everyone's talking about it. We're all realizing the capability of it. Google, of course, is barred, and we're hearing about that. And it's just incredible, the capability. And it's are you as excited about it as it seems a lot of us, you know, of what looking in are the, the, the capabilities, the potential here? I'm really excited about the potential. I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic because there's a lot of things that need to, to, to be made better, no, no matter whose architecture that you're working with, no matter whose technology. Mm. And right now, it's still too, too easy to have the technology speak like it knows what it's talking about and may not give you the entire truth or or it may say things that aren't always appropriate. So this is why we, Google has always been very thoughtful in terms of how we want to roll this out. And we want to make sure that we create something that is representative, designed with the community, regardless of who you are, whether it's age, race, gender, ability, all of these things matter. And to, to have this technology with all of its great promise, to have the impact that we want, to have the support that we want it to do, it needs to be sure that we need to be sure that it is clear, it's accurate, it's thoughtful, it's inclusive. So it's interesting. You're cautious. You don't feel that it's there yet. That it's got, it's got some way to go to to learn, I guess, because this is something which is learning all yes. the time. This yeah. is technology learning, and of course. I, I guess, and this is what is interesting about all of this, we are going to get into some really interesting discussions in the next few years mm-hmm. around ethics, yeah. around morality, around, like you say, what what it considers to be appropriate, what we consider it to respond, or how it responds appropriately. Yeah, That's a really interesting conversation. Can we ever really settle that, though? Because when we're dealing with technology, we're dealing with input. Yeah. It's often they say this, isn't it? It's what it's the data you put in. It's, yeah. it's what you get back out. Mm-hmm. So there's always someone who will try and use this for nefarious means. Mm-hmm. 
equally there's a lot of people who use it for good. So is it a settle? Is it a, a question you can ever really settle, or will it just be an ongoing debate as this technology roars into life? I think it's, it's human nature. Some people were, are, are profoundly optimistic that it's going to help the world, and some people say this isn't something that, that I can use to, 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 to meet a different kind of end. I don't want to call anything nefarious or whatever. I think the important thing is we, we need to make sure that the technology is resilient enough to, to be protected against being t- in, in, into what happened, unfortunately, to, to, to Tay a couple of years ago, Microsoft. Um, We've learned lessons from that, and we need to make sure that these technologies that we create are done thoughtfully, ethically, confidentially, so people are treated with respect, people get answers that are accurate, and it's just what everyone deserves with this technology. But it's going to take time, and we're just going to get better and better and better. And, of course, the platform itself... Mm. You know, it, it is inherently because it's a chatbot. It's essentially a very accessible platform. So that's one good thing about this. To many people, it is an accessible tool. Um, are you looking at that at this point? I mean, not so much the, the AI and the, the theories and the ethics and all that, but actually more the, the the raw sort of technical how this looks from an accessibility perspective. How Bard is usable? Is that something you're you're into now? Our expectations are that the, the products that we create are, are made accessible to the best of our ability. Things may go wrong. We may discover new ways to make things better. But when BARD eventually ships, it is reasonable to assume that it's going to be accessible by, by, by most standards. Do you think it will change the world, AI, in this, in this form? Some people are saying that. Some people are saying it, it's, it's going to change, change parts everything. of it. Is it. I can't say it changed everything. Um, I think there is a lot of opportunity for these kind of generative AI technologies to make education interesting and, and better. But we're not there yet. The, the technology needs to evolve. And I think we need to be cautious and thoughtful before we make these kind of grand statements that will it make the world better. It'll help, it'll help many people, there's no question. But it's not just generative AI. You look at computer vision. Imagine in, in your situation having a pair of glasses that can help you explore the world for fun. You don't have to be so destination-driven. Yeah. So a, if you take AI and, into its larger scope, uh, the ASR, so turning speech into text or text-to-speech, that allows people who can't or choose not to speak to be able to speak for themselves. Think about the creation of, say, voice banking. Here's an opportunity for someone to have, who's lose, lost or losing the ability to speak, to have the voice to represent them in the, in the world. AI is more than just chatbots. AI is this broad set of technologies that can really enhance people's lives, but it has to be done in conjunction with the community because if we don't know what the problems are, we don't know what the solutions can be. Christopher, always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for coming back on. My pleasure. Thank you. Great to hear Chris. And, uh, of course, we'll be hearing more from him soon. In fact, I think we've got an invite. I think I've managed to get myself an invite to their big uh, inclusive tech lab in London. So, Sean, oh. you know, you got to get that leg better because we've got to okay. go traveling. We've got to go I'll traveling. I'll be there. You can push a wheelchair, can't you? We'll be fine. Blind Man Pushes Wheelchair. There's a podcast. Yep. Let's sell that to Mr. Ed. <laughs> Blind Man Pushes Wheelchair. That could be interesting. Where are we taking Sean today? Well, we literally have no idea. That could be a cool <sighs> podcast. It's doable. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, let's move on because another person I got a chance to sit down with today is Hector Minto. He is from Microsoft, and we got to talk about AI. We talked about Microsoft Access and, of course, their upcoming Ability Summit. Hi, my name is Hector Minto. I'm the lead accessibility evangelist for Microsoft. Uh, it means that I work around the world helping our teams engage and talk to our customers, our community, government around the topic of disability inclusion and accessibility. 
great to have you here on Double Tap. Thank you so much for coming back on, Hector. Uh, you know, there's so much to talk about. Of course, Ability Summit is coming up, and we're going to talk about that. But first off, why are you here at, at Zero Projects? Yeah, conference. So firstly, great to be back. <laughs> Actually in person, isn't it? After, yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I think the last time we spoke was during the pandemic, so That's it's all, right. all remote. Uh, so great to, great to see you again. Um, Zero Conference, I've been coming for the last six years, I think now. Uh, truly global. I think that's, that's the, the bottom line. It is truly global. Uh, in a world of assistive technology that's typically been dominated by what you might call well-funded markets, you know, if you're selling assistive technology in the world today, you're probably starting in the UK, US, Germany, Scandinavia. Uh, has there been a market for assistive technology in the rest of the world? Limited. Yeah? And so Zero Project's a really great opportunity to think about the democratization of technology and how even if it's not about market making for expensive assistive technology, how are we going to tackle disability inclusion in an increasingly digital world in all parts of the world? And, and to me, you know, they've done an amazing job over the last few years to truly make this global. I don't think there is another event that really brings people from every corner of the world. Uh, so, so I think they've done an amazing job. Martinez and the team have just really created that global community all at very different levels of maturity in terms of their digital adoption, their awareness around tech and accessibility. Uh, and it's not, of course, not all about the technology. It's also just about the voice of, of disability. So in fact, we're here at the United Nations, tick, <laughs> you know, like that's super, super important. But in fact, we're also talking about the technology, the disability culture. You know, I think you and I have been around, <laughs> you've known each other for a number of years. I think we sometimes turn up at a tech conference in the US or a tech conference in the UK and it's like, hey, we just talk about technology. Yeah. This one's slightly different. You know, we're talking about civil rights. We're talking about social justice. And woven into all of that is the technology aspects of that. So I just think it's a really heady mix. What do you think? Well, I, I, I totally agree. And I think it's because I, I feel that is exactly the conversation my audience are having with me now. We're moving mm. away from just talking about tech and mm. geeking out every day on the <laughs> show. We're actually talking about the social issues, yeah. the realities. Yeah. That, and of course, all the ethics and morality around social media and all of that stuff yeah, that yeah, yeah. you know everybody's talking about everyone's battling around what the future of AI will be and yeah. how that is going to implement and you know what, what what forces will it be used for in terms of good and bad and what should we be worried about and all that stuff yeah. all these conversations are happening because technology is as much a part of our lives as everything else as almost as, as the air we breathe right I think I've used this line with you many times before, but you know, when we started, you went to work to use technology. Now people wake up with their technology beside them in bed, and it's having a you know, it's starting, starting there. Uh, so, so you know, technology is pervasive in in our lives. Uh, the, the responsible delivery of technology globally is really what we've always done in the accessibility space. But I would say, I would argue that's much more prevalent now in in many other aspects of diversity and inclusion, uh, education level. All of these sorts of things are starting to kind of be thought about in the technical world because you can't truly digitally transform unless you're bringing everyone with you. It's, it's like it's super difficult for all industries to think about what does it look like in the future. How do we start using these new technologies? How do we start leveraging AI? And what negative impact might it have if we don't if we're not truly deliberate about inclusion from from the start? That's all a lot of my work is doing. I mean, I'm you know I was on a I was on a session last night with the CIOs from an oil company, a brand agency company, and a, and, a, and, a, and a bank. Okay, now the banks, yeah, I think we've, we've spoken to them for an awful long time about accessibility, but why is a brand agency talking about it? What are the oil companies thinking about this? They're doing it. They are genuinely thinking about 
what future technologies do we build? How is somebody in a wheelchair going to pay for their fuel from their car using this app? You know, those sorts of conversations, we weren't having those. <laughs> like we're, you know, companies weren't delivering their own assistive technology. This is, this is really analogous with everything else that's happening. And so whenever you hear Microsoft talk to customers or talk about industries, we talk about them building their own ecosystem, their own operating system. It is about the accessibility of Windows, it is about the accessibility of, of digital platforms, but it's also about the digital infrastructure and their ecosystem to truly make things accessible. Uh, I think that's the, that, that's the maturity. The, 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 the new technologies being applied in the correct way, there's so much work to be done in that, in that space. But it's interesting on an individual level, and this is something I think Microsoft have done so well at. You guys talk to business all the time, mm. and you talk to individuals all the time through mm. the work you do, yep. through the advocacy, I think, mm. is a good word to yep. use because it is advocacy in a lot of ways. And I think that what we feel sometimes in the West is that we feel there are challenges and there are issues with technology. Oh, my, you know, Microsoft Teams didn't work for me the way I hoped it would today or whatever it is. That. Don't believe that. Of course not. It's absolute nonsense. <laughs> um, but, you know, that kind of thing happens. And actually we forget, we do forget, that there is a world out there just struggling to access the machine, never yeah. mind anything else, never mind yeah. the, the actual software. Mm. And connectivity. Yeah, connectivity, <laughs> starters, right. access to equipment. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, of course, when you build accessibility on top, mm. computers do require a bit more power and a bit yeah. more effort, which means you do need to put more money in. Yep. That can be a challenge mm. to access that. Yeah, we've put, we've put a lot of thinking into this, not just in terms of how we support disabled people's organizations in other parts of the world. Um, you know, we're looking at centres being set up with assistive technology in Africa at the moment through a project in Malawi. That's kind of one aspect, making sure that the technology reaches those parts of the world. But the issues are different. You're absolutely right. So um, one thing we did on Windows 11 recently is offline captioning. English, more on the way. I just got told two days ago about the, the other languages coming. Uh, offline. Offline captioning on Windows. Now, Windows devices range from a few hundred dollars up to a few thousand dollars, right? Well, more multiple thousand dollars. I mean, some of those high-end gaming laptops, right? Mm. But but low-cost Windows devices offline with auto captioning that has to be world-changing. Yeah. Only if it meets the doctor's surgery, meets the classroom, meets the engagement with somebody, and, and that people find out these things are there. And this comes back to kind of why we're here at Zero Project. I, I've had people from Africa like today and and yesterday who are saying you didn't tell us. I was like, well, we kind of told the world, and you know, it went out, but but we're not. We're not necessarily where they are, you know. We're not reaching people in, in that in that right way. So, the other example we did recently was the uh, adaptive mouse. I don't know if you saw that story, which is 3D printing a mouse for disability. So, if you have limb difference, if you need to use a mouse in a different way, if you need to use it with a foot, and you need a specific mould, the, the adaptive mouse basically kind of comes as that that mouse with left hand or right hand use, which is super cool, just mm -hmm. on its own. <laughs> I never saw a left-handed mouse all my life yeah. uh, as a left-hander. Uh, but now, if you, need a, you know, if you need a very specific tail on your mouse, you 3D print it. That's huge for parts of the world because it's a $40 mouse with the 3D bit done. And there are so many kind of businesses that we could partner with to deliver that to people. <laughs> We're going to keep doing that kind of that affordable assistive technology piece that we you know, we really need to be engaging with employment systems, education systems, multinational global employers, I think, are going to play a big part in this to make sure that it reaches all of those parts. When I was with... I know I'm the only one that doesn't never lets you get a question in. Go for it. No, no, please. <laughs> but when I was chatting to WPP yesterday about their uh, this brand agency, about what they're doing, they're providing their employees with assistive technology through a vending machine now. 
And I was just like, oh, like, like when, have, when did we get here? Like, yeah. you're not waiting six months for somebody to assess you and say it's done. It's like saying, if you need a 3D printable mouse, it's, you know, a left or, or a smaller keyboard or whatever, you know, we've got a vending machine in the lobby, just go and put in your IT credentials on your, on your badge and we'll charge it to your manager. And it's like, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're starting to see the, the, the destigmatization, the normalization, the recognition that people are using technologies in lots of different ways. Challenge next is to kind of truly go global on that. Ability Summit is coming up. Yeah. A huge event Love it. for Microsoft every year. Um, what, are we, what are we likely? Can you tell me anything? <laughs> can you tell me anything at all? Do we have to wait? I can tell you that it's going to be awesome again. <laughs> <laughs> That's not enough. We're we're breaking news here. Come on. I mean, we're announcing the speakers. I mean, the beauty of Ability Summit is the the attention it brings to executives and senior leaders around the world. You know, the fact that we get senior leaders from every kind of part of the world and from within Microsoft to really spend that committed time to the topic of disability and accessibility, that's that's the big win for us every year. But we do, of course, use it as a a launch moment for many kind of like, how are we feeling right now about... uh, our products, you know, what are the new things? Yeah, you know, that's really where we do a lot of our messaging and, and where, where the community particularly. You know, we had like 180 countries represented at the last Ability Summit, you know, it's joining huge. online. So it's, it's huge, it's, you know, it's really global. Yeah. Uh, but it's essentially that opportunity to kind of get the messaging across. So I don't want to, I can't kind of really spoil it, but you know, there are things coming that I would kind of maybe bring your attention to. The ability of people with disabilities to build technologies using build platforms is, something beyond the user experience of accessibility. So, you know, we constantly think about how usable is that piece of technology, what assisted, what accessibility is built into that platform, or mm. how accessible is Outlook, or how accessible is PowerPoint, right? You know, that's the kind of, that's where we, we spend a lot of our time talking. But fundamentally, we need people with disabilities to be building the next generation of products, and that's gonna require our build products, VS Code and other things, I'm not a dev, <laughs> but, but, no, <laughs> but we need those to be fully yes, accessible those people and, need and to be delightful. Getting access. What you might have seen is things like a GitHub Copilot or heard about these things. Yes. Now, GitHub obviously is like where people share their code, where people learn to code, where people you know, develop their software you know, in, in communities. The accessibility of that, but then also the accessibility of those experiences. GitHub Copilot is a way that people are starting to generate code from natural language and then review code. So it's like almost like coming up with the idea, explaining it to GitHub, seeing it appear in, 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 in matrix-style code in front of you mm-hmm. as a non-dev, yeah? and then kind of reverse engineering it. And you know, it's a completely different way of coding that people are starting to embrace based on things like the, you know, the chat GPT side of things. Right? Yeah. So, so we're starting to see that. I think you're going to start to see kind of what does the next generation of our products look like with all of the announcements recently around things like ChatGPT. I don't know. I genuinely don't know the like what, what this is going to look like. But what you're going to start to see is that you know we have, of course, we're going to have an opinion on that because every time there's this lift in the capability of technology, it's going to have an impact on the lives of people with disabilities. Ability Summit's coming up. Yep. Beginning of March. March eighth. March 8th, and people can sign up now, they can watch it. You can absolutely register, aka.ms slash ability. Uh, You can register right away. I mean, I would really encourage people to register. You know, we love to know early. (laughs) And and it's on YouTube after, right? It's on YouTube. We generally share all the recordings afterwards, absolutely. Uh, They'll be available on demand. But, you know, there's something about being there. It's a really nice, accessible platform. Tons of chat goes on while the stuff's going on. So, you know, we'll be there monitoring all the chat with the accessible team, with the community, with the product teams. You know, it's a real opportunity to... You know, hit our product teams directly with questions about the way things are going. Yeah, uh, so yeah, I would always come to it. 
it's not just Microsoft people, let's be clear. You know, we've got politicians, we've got business leaders. Uh, my panel uh, that I recorded uh, last night, the CIOs, I love it. And I'll tell you why I love it. Because you will hear CIOs from biggest businesses around the world saying, we want to design delightful, accessible experiences for our employees and our customers. They, they're converting the culture of the obligation of accessibility to one where the CIO is saying, this is an expectation to delight. We want to delight people with the experiences we build and sharing back with us that their devs feel great when they've created an accessible experience. I really want people to take the messages they hear at Ability Summit and then go and take them to their own business. You know, you're like, hey, listen to this CIO. <laughs> Hector, thanks so much for coming back over. Anytime. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I you know, always try and get, you know, catch you when I'm here. Uh, I'm sure we'll do something again at Ability Summit. Definitely. Thank and, uh, you. Yeah, anytime. Hector from Microsoft, of course, great to hear him. And, of course, Christopher Patton. Thank you to him as well for coming on to the show. We'll be hearing more from them all in the coming weeks. This is Double Tap. Stick around. More to come, including more of your feedback next. Follow Double Tap on social media at Double Tap On Air. And subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And email us feedback at doubletaponair.com. We'll be right back. This is Double Tap, broadcasting from the Zero Project Conference in Vienna, Austria. Now, back to the show. Hey, welcome back. This is Double Tap. And uh, today on the show, we are going to speak to Darren Rowan. Uh, he is an incredible guy, and I'm so glad you've come over, Darren, to talk to me about your role. Uh, maybe you, you could introduce yourself to our audience and tell us a little bit about what you do. Hi, I'm Darren Rohn. I'm from Eli Lilly and Company. We're a global pharmaceutical company based out of the US, but I'm from the UK, as you can probably tell with my accent. And Another I'm, fellow Brit. Yay! And um, I'm here as a digital accessibility leader. I've been in that role for just uh, two months, but um, I was actually here last year at the ZeroCon 22 because we picked up an award then for the program I was leading on accessibility. That's brilliant, right? So this is you coming back, I guess, to soak up the fun this time and actually get a chance to enjoy it a little bit, right? Sit back, learn, <laughs> meet people like yourself by accident. Yeah, we, we literally met by accident, right? I mean, you're a visually impaired guy. You walked up to this table. Can I sit here, he says. And I'm like, yeah, of course you can sit down. I had no idea what you were going to do. Yeah. You start eating your lunch and then we figure out that you're visually impaired and... You've, and you've I realised I've been doing for a while. That's I I recognise your voice straight away. Cause clearly, you're very famous. Oh yeah, that's right. And, yeah, um, super famous. Yeah, so I'm just recording this for my wife. Serendipitous. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a bit about your organisation and your role specifically, then. Yeah, so um, we've been around for what, 146 years as a company. Um, and you've been around for all of that. Oh yeah, since yeah. the very beginning. Excellent. I age really well. Um, and yeah, so we basically create innovative medicines. That's that's our business. Uh, we're a global healthcare company, as I said. And um, my role specifically, although I'm I'm brand new into it, literally in the last two months, because it's the first role in the company where we've had accessibility in the title. Um, but I basically brought in my kind of passion around disability inclusion. And my knowledge around accessibility that has been, first of all, first-hand experience in running into many barriers, literally sometimes, yeah. um, over the last few years. And, and hopefully, where we're going to really embed accessibility. I think we've done a decent job with the program that I mentioned 
in the last three years in terms of engaging our employees around the topic and getting them interested in it. We've also done a decent job of equipping them, giving them some of the tools, some of the, the basics that are everybody's fingertips, like the Microsoft check accessibility stuff. Um, but really, my job now is to establish a team and then to help the rest of the enterprise start to embed this into our processes and procedures. Yeah. And that's often the challenge, isn't it? It's getting the buy-in across the company. And it's not that people aren't interested. It's just that they have their own stuff to do as well. That yep. you know, This is not the only part of the job. It might be your role, but it's not part of their role. And, and I guess it's trying to make them understand that accessibility is part of their role. It's just part of what they do, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that we said when we established the program in the first place was that it's accessibility is everybody's role, right? And some people will do this maybe more than others from a technical perspective, like designers and developers. Um, but also, everybody needs to understand the, the role that they play. So if you're a marketing person and you are going to create some um, nice bits of artifacts that are going to go out to uh, your customers, you need to be thinking about accessibility right from the start. So that's part of your requirements that end up feeding through to the people who develop those things, whether that's internally or with maybe agents that we use, for example. Um, so it's, it's trying to help people understand the different touch points and where there may be potential barriers today and then how they learn to uh, remove those barriers proactively and make sure it's just embedded into what they do. Because the, the issue with accessibility, when people get, start to know about it, they get interested if it just becomes still a sidebar activity that, you know, oh, here's some guidelines over here, it will never really get embedded. It's got to be part of what they do in the way they work. Yeah, and I remember talking to a developer once who said that when he found all the accessibility tools that he could work with, it was almost like finding a whole new section of the toy box he never knew he could play <laughs> with. And it's almost like you kind of want people to get engage that way yeah. to see this as something that you know can my email be more accessible can my newsletter can my whatever it is document be more accessible yeah. and you know realizing that you know for example when you're using a document to set it with proper headings rather than just you know bolden the text and, and you know increase the text size to make it look like a heading you know just actually making it a heading that kind of thing it's just little things that people can do mm. that just make the difference for for all of us, right? Yeah. I think one of the turning points for, for, for myself or with uh, educating others in any sort of presentation or event that we run was really talking about the social model view of mm. disability because as soon as people start to understand that they're um, potentially part of the problem yeah. and they didn't know it, so they're creating barriers unintentionally, then as soon as we start to explain that and then we start to help them understand what some of those solutions might look like, people get really engaged in it then. And especially when it's equipped with some sort of storytelling around that, what the true impact of, of this is. And when you start to then multiply that in different settings, whether it's with your colleagues or whether it's with the people that you serve, you know, ultimately as a healthcare company, if we're providing medicines to like millions of pe people in the world, by default, every one of them has a disability, right? If you look in... Well, that's, yeah, that's right. So, yeah. so it's like makes sense that along with the things that we provide, and obviously now medicines come along with digital health solutions as well. So as you think about that, you then need to 
consider all those potential barriers that could be part of that if you're not building in accessibility from from the start. So that's customer focused. But of course, we, we talked today and we talked this week with Monica Ackerman from Scotiabank who's here mm-hmm. in Canada. And she was talking about the the challenge internally as well, making sure that the processes that allow someone who's disabled to apply for a job, when you get into the job, making sure the systems are accessible. Yep. All of that's still a challenge, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, I think that one of the things we have done well to date is built in accessibility to our external websites, for example, and, and really got some nice... Um, a design system in place that helps us with our accessibility components. What we need to be able to do is apply that same thinking. It might not be exactly the same system, but having a set of standards, best practices that we apply to internal systems that we either develop or we procure. And I think that's the big big piece because the majority of our internal systems that we use are procured by third parties or developed for us in partnership with us by third parties. And I think it's just equally important for us to build accessibility into the conversations that we have right from the start when we're looking for a new vendor, for example. That should be part of the decision-making in the same way that anything else is, like security, for example, or privacy and all these kind of key requirements that we have. And that's exactly what we're doing now. We're working with our procurement a group to start building in the right requirements and contract language around accessibility. I'm always interested in this because when you go to your bosses and you say, I would love this to be more accessible, their response may well be, well, this is a third-party product. It's really got nothing to do with us. Yeah. Is that a stop point, do you find, in these conversations? Or do you find that there's an opportunity then to say, well, why don't we approach the company and say, hey, you know, maybe you could make your, your product more accessible and therefore that can help anybody who buys that product. Yeah, and we've actually done that. We've, we've, we've done it from the very early phases in terms of some people have come to myself and my, my team and said, hey, we, wanna, um, we want to contract a vendor to build a system or provide a system for this, right? And it could be anything from our lab inventory management system through to an HR system. And we have some guidance that we've created to help people start to ask the right questions from the earliest point, mm. giving them some kind of links to the standards and things. And we had one particular vendor who came back and said, oh, yeah, we believe we're accessible to this degree. And they were quite honest. Um, but they, what we did was we actually went and assessed it ourselves. And we found that some of the other areas, although this, it checked the box, let's say, from a a web content accessibility guideline standard. Yeah. It from a kind of walking through the experience, trying to get from A to B on just one scenario, it fell apart. Usa- um, it's, it's accessibility versus usability. Exactly. It? And we gave them that feedback. And and actually, so we hadn't even contracted with them at this point. It was all part of the, the procurement process. But then they went away and they got another uh, third party themselves to help them get better at this. Mm. Um what was interesting recently is that somebody went to a conference and they saw this same vendor there um, actually selling accessibility as part of what they do because they've now built it in and they've now built it into their roadmap as well. So the, the, the key point is that you're not going to get them to, if they don't have it today, they're not obviously going to just suddenly provide it tomorrow. No. But if they're engaging with you and telling you that 
yeah, we, we've just realised that we could do better at this and we're interested in, in getting better. Here's what we've done in terms of our roadmap. Then at least you've got some assurance there and you build that into your contract that, you know, that's that's a worthwhile partnership having. It's so demoralising as a blind person if you apply for a job and you've managed to get through that process. And like you say, the external website for the company, whatever it might be, you apply for the job, you get through the process, you get the job, and then you sit down on day one. You've you've really knuckled down on how JAWS works as a screen reader. You know, mm-hmm. you've got it all in your head. You know all your shortcuts. You've got all your commands worked out. And you go to this internal website, and it's not accessible to you. So yeah. demoralizing. And that's that's a that's a common not not just with you or your company, but all companies have this problem. Yeah. And that is a real problem today. Uh, and that's something that really it needs to be fixed. Yeah. And, and it's it's down by it's down to the kind of work you're doing, isn't it? Because ultimately, yeah. telling these people there is a problem, and realizing they can be the solution to it, yeah, will eventually solve it. It's not like you say; it's not going to happen tomorrow. No, there's a lot of patience required, and you know you've got to give a lot of people grace in the process. But I mean, if I looked at our intranet, for example, a year ago compared to our external sites, and I actually did a video <laughs> comparing our external site to it, and I shared it with them. Um, it wasn't great, but even within a year, it's improved, you know, radically, really, for a screen reader user like myself. And and that's a key point as well, because the um, when when you talk to people around this stuff, they kind of nod their heads and they sort of get it, that it's important. As soon as you switch your screen reader on and say, let me share my screen and let me show you what my experience is like trying to get to, I don't know, look at my um, my pay um you know, look at my my actual the screen that should show me how much I'm getting paid this month, and I yeah. can't get to it yeah. using a screen reader. Then it's suddenly, whoa! I had no idea, and and then stuff happens because you're giving people a little five minutes of your lived experience, and that that is the a, a total change maker, really. You see, the interesting thing for me is when it comes to the social model of disability, which I'm learning more and more about. I feel I'm a little bit behind on this. You know, I grew, I, I'm one of those dinosaurs that grew up in the world when there wasn't a medical, there was a medical model and then there was another model. And, and, it, and I feel some of it's a little bit academic and, yeah. and how much of it really applies in real life, I'm not entirely sure. I get the, the idea behind it though. I think that what's, what I personally feel, I don't know how you feel about this, I think we as blind people have a bit of responsibility here too. It's not all on everyone else. And that is what you've just said. It's showing the problem. Yeah. If we can, we should. I think we should show the problem because that then helps people understand. If you just turn up and say, your website's inaccessible, it ain't working for me, I'm not buying your product, I don't know what's going to come out of that. No, because, I, because what do they know? Honestly, what will they know? What will they think that means? Yeah. When, if you say it's not accessible, what, what in their head do they hear? They probably don't even know what that means. No, they don't. And if you show them, you know, one of the typical assessments, let's say, that we... Um, you know, can do, which looks very technical, right? It yeah. sort of does all that stuff where it maps it against the latest WCAG standards and things like that. And, and even my eyes glaze over when I'm looking at it thinking, <laughs> and, and we're talking to business people here in the first place, at, at the back end of it when actual changes have to be made, obviously that's when those technical people can go in and start making changes to the code to make that front end more accessible, but when you're having a conversation with, for example, in somebody in HR who owns the intranet sites that you're discussing, they really need to know what the impact is of what it is that you're trying to work with from the interface 
perspective and whether it's to do with using a screen reader or a keyboard only or whether it's you know issues around dyslexia for example and and you know even ADHD stuff where the screen is just so cluttered and things are springing up all the time and you know just people are confused because they don't know quite which section to go to what even from a logical perspective let's say that would just help so many more people right that's the other thing because when you simplify these systems then you end up making something that's that's better for everyone and that is the biggest challenge as well because of course in our world of, of visual impairment it's not everything's a screen reader no you know it can be about magnification it could be about contrast it can be about text size there's lots of different aspects to it and oftentimes people think well if it works for a screen reader then it works for all blind people but that's not true no and then you expand that into all the different types of disabilities and kinds of disabilities there are. Yeah, it is challenging. And you can see when people start to realize this, there's an instant fear. But what people have to be reminded of is the opportunity, the potential. Because every single, every single stage of development of this, it means someone can get a job, someone can continue to live the life they want to live, be independent, whatever it might be. And that's what's so important about all this. You know, whatever it is, you know, we'll have that knock-on impact. And like you say, overall, it benefits everyone. Yeah. So, no, it's great. I'm so glad you, you, you literally bumped into me and, and wandered <laughs> over here. This was really interesting. No, it's been lovely to meet you. And, uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting to suddenly be on the radio show. So, well, there um, you go then. Marvelous. You see? What a day. You had your lunch. <laughs> what did you do, by the way? Did you have the same thing I had? I couldn't uh, eat that thing. What, it was a cheese something. Yeah, um, I think I had a cheese kind something. Of pastry affair. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed yours. <laughs> that was a terrible audio description, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, bl blind people are the worst audio describers. That's a fact. I know, I hate it when people ask me to describe myself. Slatter, <laughs> you tell me. I actually once, this is no joke, I once uh, was asked at a Microsoft event to describe myself, and I said, I'm a rather large man with uh, brown hair and blue eyes. And someone came back to me and said, um, just to clarify, your hair's actually greying. <laughs> Oh, thanks very much. I was, I was getting corrected. Yeah. Live. Disgraceful. Uh, listen, thank you so much for coming over. That no, was great. My pleasure. Thank you. All right, Sean, let's get into some feedback uh, because, you know, we get so much of it. And uh, I just, I like, even though we're on the road here at the yes. moment, I do want to make sure we keep up with what is in the inbox. Um, let's go to New York Chris. That is how it's labelled here. So New York Chris <laughs> has a comment for us. Hi, Where's he from? It looks like you were right. There is a oh. keystroke that controls the backlight brightness on the Logitech MX Keys Advanced Keyboard. Oh. The only thing is I got different information depending on the site I was looking at. But hopefully this will at least give you a starting point and hopefully one of these will work. More than likely you will need Be My Eyes or Ira to confirm which keystroke works and to tell you once the lights are completely off. One site said... Function F4 lowers light brightness, function F5 raises brightness, or function F6 lowers brightness and function F7 raises brightness. One site mentioned that there are symbols on the F keys, so maybe someone can also look to see what symbols are on the keys, and that might possibly help you see which key does what. But don't forget to include the function key with the F key. Again, hopefully this will at least put you on the right trail to getting the backlights turned off. Hope you continue feeling better so you can get back out in your shed soon. I know it must miss you. Thanks for the great show. Chris from Northern New York. Oh, wow, Northern New York. So hang on, that's NNY. 
That's yes, that's impressive. The the northern Big Apple, fantastic. The northern um, Apple. He's at he's at the little pippy bit. The little pippy. He's, at, he's at the stalk end. The stalk. Was, <laughs> um, Chris, thank you so much. And funnily enough, I downloaded the uh, PDF of the user manual trying to find that keystroke as well, and it did label what all the F keys did, but didn't tell you what the number of the f key was so i oh. knew it was in there somewhere but i haven't found it yet so thank you for giving me somewhere to start i will try those and of course you only need to hold down the function key with the f keys to do those second functions if you haven't toggled the function key um mm. setting which is function and escape that changes the function keys between system settings or the standard f1 f2 f3 etc but yeah. thank you you so much i'm going to try that out yep thank you for that um let's go to lewis on the voicemail hi there it's lewis from toronto hey sean priest i'm happy you're back you know uh Stephen has been a little sucky uh, thinking that i'm um putting him through the mud and making him look bad but i'm not he's okay he does his job um, I'm just coming back with some information from Microsoft Windows with regards to the new upgrade to seeing AI with the indoor navigation. Um, the indoor navigation is able to be installed on devices that have uh, a A9 chip or Apple 9 chip and that have 14 um, – up date of 14 or 14 point whatever, they are able to be installed. Now, for example, on an iPad Air 2 or on an iPad Mini 4, it's not able to be installed because they use the A8 chip, so Apple 8 chip. So you cannot install in that device, at least not at present. I kind of made some noise regarding it. See if they look into it. It makes Apple... It makes. Um, Windows looked bad that um, they did not prepare this beforehand to make sure it worked on everything because not everybody has the cash to get the most recent device. So I did my part of it. Um, I want to bring this information to you. Yes, you can use this on air if you want to. If not, that's fine too. So, yeah, it's Lewis from Toronto. See ya. Take it easy. Keep up the good work, both of you. And, Stephen, don't start crying. There's no use. Bye. <laughs> I want to cry. I want to cry, Lewis. Why we let I me love cry? that one. Thank you, Lewis. That was fantastic. I, I, I no I idea what feel, he's talking about. I feel there's some history there that I've missed. But, I have um, no I, idea what he's talking about. I'm, I'm going to leave it there. Um, so seeing AI indoor navigation, you know what? I haven't even tried that yet. Have you not? Uh, no, I haven't. So good. I used to, you know, I've tried Clue in the past, so I'm really interested to see how that works. So, uh, yeah, that's good to know. A9 chip. So, I mean, that's... That's a few generations ago. I, I, I don't know if Microsoft can be held to supporting everything. I'm assuming it uses the augmented reality APIs for some of the indoor navigation. I don't know, but I'm assuming that's I mean, the reason why. Some people have been critical because of the other way around because they're saying, well, actually, you know, in some ways it's a good thing because you know, some of the newer phones, obviously the pros have got LiDAR in them, and I think a lot of people thought that you would need LiDAR. You don't need that. So, yeah. you know, that's a good thing. But, you know, I, I don't know who this would be down to, but there has to be, a, I guess, a minimum level of capability. And, yes, I know a lot of these devices are very good. Even older devices are good. But I don't think you can expect, you know, every device, you know, the iPhone 1 to support these kind of it, things. It depends what the technology is behind it. And indoor navigation without, you know, using any external signals such as GPS is incredibly difficult. And if it's using object recognition and image recognition, that takes a lot of processing power. Yeah. So, 
Yeah, I, I understand it is frustrating, though. It's the same when Siri come out and, it, you know, it was only available on the 4S or whatever it may be. I can't remember. And there was sort of no reason for that. So, yeah, I do get it. Listen, we're out of time again. Um, honestly, the show goes by so quick, but I've had such an interesting one today. We've had so many interesting guests and uh, you're not going to be with us tomorrow. Uh, we're giving you the day off because, uh, you know. I, I don't believe it. I mean, I was meant to have the week off. and um, Yeah, yeah. we're well, going to day off. What are you complaining about? You oh, I'm sorry, one sir. Day. Wow, unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> I want Mr. F back. God bless you, Mr. F. <laughs> uh, but I will be back tomorrow. We've got some great guests. We're going to be talking with Shani Dander tomorrow, a fantastic woman who talks all about her life with disability and uh, really interesting and, frankly, very open discussion about uh, disability, gender, race. All of it combined. Really interesting conversation. And I'll be doing a walk around of the exhibit hall talking about some of the cool tech that I get the chance to see while I was here at the Zero Project conference. I will be back uh, from Vienna on Monday, but we will be back to regular show. Lots of your feedback to get through. So do stick around for that. We'll, of course, be back here on uh, tomorrow, of course, on the weekend show <laughs> and on Monday. Uh, you know what? When the episode's here, Go and listen to it. That's how it works. But yes, we'll we'll be back. I'm off to get asleep. (laughs) And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Sean. Thank you. Bye-bye. Love Double Tap? Did you know we're on the TV too? Check out brand new episodes of Double Tap TV on AMI-tv every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. Or binge on all episodes online at ami.ca forward slash Double Tap. We're also on YouTube. Search for Double Tap to catch our episodes there too. I'm Margaret Shepard of the AMI podcast, Tripping On Air. Every month, my co-host Alex Hajar and I spill the tea on what it's really like to live with MS. Watch Tripping On Air on YouTube or download wherever you get your pods.